a lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. For decades, radio has been the way new music is discovered. From record stores to mixtapes, from satellite radio to digital service providers, radio has endured at every turn. If you want a hit, it goes through radio. Who picks those hits? Who programs these stations? Who makes these decisions? One of the most influential people in all of rock music, our guest today, Troy Hansen, on the What Podcast. It starts right now. Whether it's your first time or your first time back, it's the What Podcast. Barry Corder, Lord Taco, and Brad Steiner, uh, and Lord Taco's best friend, PBR. Besties. Yeah. How are you? Look at that. Look at these uh, fresh faces. How are you guys? Nice to see you again. I'm terrific. Doing terrific. Great weekend. That's all I got out of you? Is uh, terrific? That's all I got? Uh, Best ever. Best day ever. Oh, wow. You Never have turned to be into repeated. a millennial hanging out with us. Never to you? be repeated. <laughs> I can't even tell you about it. It's so great. So uh, I hate to uh, I hate to do this, but you won't believe who I've been hanging out with the past couple of days. Here it comes. Camp Nut Butter, fellow camper, Mr. Brian Stone, the host of the biggest podcast in the history of podcasts, the Stone on Air podcast. Tell me he's behind you. Tell me he's going to oh, come no. out from behind the curtain. No, he's too angry at the world. He can't. Uh, he can't leave the. Uh, he can't leave the bathroom. He's crying into his own hands. And so um, I'm very excited about this week. Over the last couple of um, weeks, we've been, uh, you know, a part of the Consequence Podcast Network. But what we said to them at the very beginning is, "Hey, we want to sort of expand what this podcast should be." Now, of course, our roots and, and our history will always be at Bonnaroo, and and most of our conversations will start and end with Bonnaroo because that's just what we love and what we you know, feel deep into our, our loins. But, um, you know, as we expand into other festivals and expand into the industry, uh, there are some topics that I want to dive into. And one of the topics was what we started last week with Mike Daly from Hollywood Records. Yeah, he was terrific. A&R, an A&R guy. What's the mm-hmm. R for? Say repertoire. it again. Repertoire. Repertoire. Artist repertoire. Yeah, I mean, guys like me who have been in radio for a long time, and, and you'll talk to Troy about this too, and I bet if he's honest, he'll say the same thing as I do. But most radio guys feel as though they could do A and R tomorrow. 
You know, we all feel like, oh, no, we've got the best ear. No, we know the next best thing. We know the next guy that's going to blow up. This job is incredibly hard. You know, those A&R guys have the hardest gig in the entire industry. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to part one on how to make a hit with Mike Daly and, and destroy as good of a face that he puts on it. And you can have that when you're sitting at, you know, like a million dollar pool, which he was in front of, you know, some wonderful landscaping, but it's a, it's a stressful job because it's about production, Barry. It's about all about production. Here's my takeaway from that. And I, I kind of had this in the back of my head before talking to him and he really, he personally didn't dispel it, but I still feel this way. It's a great job at the front end but it's a tough job to keep. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? You, the, the, yeah. You, you're going to find that superstar band and you're going to be mm-hmm. the rock star and our guy, mm-hmm. but you got to find another one. You better find that next another one. one. And then another the next one. one. Well, see the other thing too, yeah. there's, there's a, there's the, the one part that we didn't talk about with him is there's multiple, and I tried to, we didn't really get there, but there's multiple levels of A and R. There's the young kid who is on the street trying to find you know, the right. talent, but then there is, you know, guys like him and the Sam Rybacks of the world who, you know, are running major labels and are constantly on the phone with, you know, Ariana Grande, you know, and they're crafting the entire sound of, of an album of, of, of an artist. That's the kind of level that, you know, only the, the Clive Davises of the world really right. hit. Right. And, um, and, and let's be honest, we only scratch the surface. I oh mean, my God. We I, just scratched the surface. I said this, so many layers. I know. I said this to him in the interview. I was like, I, I had dinner with Sam one time and, and he literally just had to tell me to stop talking about it because <laughs> right. I can't not talk about this. This is such a fascinating topic. And even as somebody who's been in this business for 21 years, I still get confused as to you know how a lot of these things work. And right. to sort of untangle that web, I, w- I wanted us to do this series, How to Make a Hit. So part one was A&R, finding the band, nurturing the band, maturing the band, then putting it into the world, maybe on a festival lineup, and watching that career grow. Well, uh, one way to get onto a festival lineup, one way to get a career to grow is to have hits. And A&R guys got to create hits. Well, who plays the hits? It's guys like me. So uh, I didn't want you to talk to guys like me. I want you to talk to the right. best guy like me. His name is Troy Hansen, the head of all rock for Cumulus Broadcasting. Now, I'm going to say this before he gets on, on the show here, but there are three big, big radio companies. There's iHeart, there's Cumulus, and there is Intercom slash Odyssey. It's now Odyssey. Full disclosure, I work for Cumulus and I have for like the last 16 months, 15 months or so. Well, um, the guy that pulled me out of Chattanooga and dropped me into New Orleans is Troy Hansen. And um, with, with all of the, the, the things that go along with you know being a radio guy, figuring out a hit is one thing, but running an entire company's rocks portfolio is a major, major job. It's a major deal. You're not just running a radio station, you're running an entire company's format. So when I say he's one of the five most influential people in all of rock music, I mean it. The, there's, I, I can count five people who, if you want to get on the charts, if you want to have a hit and you want to get commercial success, he's one of the five. And 
I don't think he'd say it because he's too humble, but you don't have a hit on the radio and you probably don't have a Spotify hit um, unless you have, you know, some major support of, of some of the five, if you know what I mean. It, it, it's stunning. And I don't mean to... <sighs> Well, I can't you. wait to I know talk. what it does. It bothers you a little bit. It bothers me a whole lot. And you and I have had long conversations about all this, but what's interesting. And what I think we'll get into it. I just saw a headline probably two hours ago. One of the biggest stars in the world a year ago was, um, Billy Eilish. She didn't have such great success with this new record. Right. Um, no, I mean, it's only does, been out. It's only been out. It's only been out a couple of weeks. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, I've, so the headlines are already different and I don't mean to pick on her because as you know, I'm a big fan. I like that first record. I like that record a lot. It's well, by just the way, so the album, weird. If, the album's not out. I mean, she's only had a few singles. Come okay. Out. This is only the second, but already I'm I mean, seeing it, these headlines, the sophomore jinx or the sophomore, this or that. Hmm. And I don't mean to be that. That's why I even hesitated to bring it up. Well, here's what I'm going to do because I don't want to come across as, you know, trying to, purport that I know more than Troy, I'm going to pretend like I'm not a radio guy whatsoever. I'm going to try and pretend that I don't know anything about this. Huh? When we talk to him? Yes, because I don't want, I don't want it to, I don't want to, to come across as, yeah, but Troy, would I really, this is the, the, the conversations that guys like me and him have all the time. We just sit there and argue about what we think is, you know, totally subjective. So I'm going to try not to do it as far as like what, what out what song this or that or just music yeah. or in general yeah friends yeah for instance All right, fair enough you know my fair um enough. he would be he would be pretty open about this you know when when a guy like me is playing the black pumas a thousand times and the next station behind me is playing a song 400 times troy's gonna call me and be like what in the world are you doing man this what is, are you doing? This is my point in bringing it up, not to throw Billie Eilish under the bus or anybody. It's why this one versus that one. And that's, a, that's what I'm hoping to get into. It's a good question. With sure. you two guys. I mean, that's, and that we got into it a little bit with Mike. Seriously, as a fan, mm-hmm. and I consider myself a fan more than I do, you know, a music entertainment reporter or whatever. Why this one over that one? You know, I mean, we all know we all have that record in our collection that we adore and love and wonder why it didn't blow up. And then we all have we that one that blew up and we're like, oh, I hate that thing, you know, <laughs> but it got a bazillion plays on the radio. So yeah. that's what I'm anxious to hear. Uh, you know, the the one thing that here's here me too. First off, I, I, I am, too. But here's something I've never done in 21 years. You know, I've, I've, I, I can probably, you know, go down the list of people that I've interviewed. I've never once interviewed someone who does this too. You know, I don't know many times, Barry, have you interviewed another news? Another, another, another yeah. uh, I've been in the room with them and I'm not yeah. impressed. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> now they would all say the I same would. about me, but I've got to yeah. be honest, especially I mean, I would, like. I pretty, I pretty much have the exact same feeling about most radio people, which is why Especially the, the one mu- I called was Troy. The movie critics are the worst. I'm not impressed. That's a whole nother story. Well, that's because <laughs> they're never impressed. They're is impressing it- each other. They're writing uh, for each other. Uh, they're not writing for the fans. Uh-huh. 
they're trying to think of the sure. next clever, you know, sentence to describe a movie that's that the their guy next to him that is going to be impressed with. Man, you know what? I didn't think about it this way, but that might summarize a lot of the radio industry. You know, it, are some of us programming radio stations and playing things because everybody else we're just trying to show the other guy down the street that I hey I know what I'm doing versus what an audience yeah. actually wants to hear. I believe I mean, that one hundred percent. I mean, hey, well, look, I I want you to I want you to have take take the gloves off. You know, if you want to beat up radio, beat up radio. This is your opportunity to do it. Um, I would love to hear what Troy has to say about it. Uh, yeah. Look, you're not going to, and I'm going to sing Troy's praises because I truly do feel this way. He's one of the best radio minds in all of the world. He has got I it. Can't he, wait. He, he just knows. He, me and him have a very different ear. We like very different things. But when it comes to a radio guy, he's he's right up there at top of the heap of um, the best that you're going to probably ever meet. So with that being said, uh, before we get into the conversation with Troy, how to make a hit part two, we probably need to do last call on our ticket giveaway. Right, Russ? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> how long? Uh, when are we going to call the winner? Or when are we going to choose the winner? I mean, I guess I guess this has got to be the final week. Do you guys want to make this the final week? Last calls? Last seven days for it? I think so. If you wait too long, people won't be able to make plans yeah, to go if they win. We're, we're what, 90 days, depending on when you're hearing this? We're within we're 80 to 90. 90 sure. 80 to yeah, 90. Right. Well, there you go. Well, let's just yeah, make it. Yeah. Let's make the last call. call. This right is the there. last seven days. Mm -hmm. uh, this time next week, the next episode, we will have, because we don't have anything else planned. I guess the whole show is going to be about our uh, Bonnaroo winner. In fact, we can have the Bonnaroo winner. There we go. That's our next episode. Hey, we'll I'll, talk I'll, to the I'll Bonnaroo even, winner. I'll even do this. I'll even throw in um, a t-shirt. Oh, that's and bad. maybe oh, a wow. koozie and a sticker. Yeah, very. Or maybe twelve or twenty. <laughs> a <laughs> or <case>. a box. <laughs> Anything that I can get out of this basement. Yeah. Depends on how close you are. <laughs> yeah, that's would, why would we you... say make sure you follow us so that we can DM you if you win, and then we can get your contact details and get you on the show. Well, first off, Barry, would you be willing to drive the box of T-shirts over to a listener's house? Uh, if it's if it's reachable. Yes. Would you be willing to help them fix their toilet? Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. Okay. I've because done such a thing. Because we might have a winner in New Orleans, Louisiana, who oh. really, 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 really oh. needs you to stop by. Oh. Done that before. <laughs> Facetime hey. me. I'll show you how to do it. Uh, the uh, <laughs> it's really hashtag, not that hard. Hashtag the what podcast on uh, Instagram and Twitter, the what underscore podcast on uh, the twits. So if you do hashtag the what podcast, we will find your tweet, your Instagram, your post, your uh, your video, whatever. And we will either retweet it. We'll we'll write it down and then we'll draw a winner from all of the people that that hashtag us. Right. Is that what we're doing? Yep. Yep. I've got a list and uh, we've got a lot of entries. Good. Good. I'm very excited about that. So one week from today. We will have a uh, Bonnaroo winner. Sold out Bonnaroo, mind you. Exactly. The the world of festivals completely sold out. You know, I, I wonder if we're going to see, aside from the big ones like the Lollapaloozas, the ACLs, the Bonnaroos, how well these tickets are going to move. You know, we got the news of Firefly sold out, but does anyone anticipate Music Midtown selling out? Does anyone think that that's going to sell 35,000 tickets? I can't wait to find out, man. I have no earthly idea what to expect. I know. I think we talked about at the end of last episode. I can't wait for November, December to sort of rehash all of this stuff because it's going to be, 
I think it'll be an interesting conversation to see how everything actually went. Yeah. But, yeah, and uh, how much money was actually lost or gained through the whole or thing. Or gained, who did yeah. well, who didn't, you know, yeah. everything. You ain't going to get any of those numbers. I, I just have a feeling. <laughs> well, I, know, but I know, but we'll, we'll have anecdotal, you know, we'll know mm-hmm. from, our, from our own eyes. It was good or it wasn't. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. All right. So, so the, um, when, we, when we come back after Troy, we'll go through some of the news of the week. And um, other than that, let's do it. Uh, Troy Hansen the uh, head of all rock programming for Cumulus Radio, Cumulus Broadcasting. I don't even know the name of my company. Is it Cumulus Communications? Cumulus, I think it's Cumulus Broadcasting. There you go. On the What Podcast, which bands this year that matter? Troy, buddy, how what's are you? happening? Thank Troy, you. Uh, <laughs> let me int- introduce you to Barry Quarter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press and uh, Lord Taco from a uh, unidentified Volkswagen bus. We don't really know where he is right now, could but be uh, how are you? could be anywhere. Actually, down the road from you right now. You're, uh, are you, are you sticking around in Nashville for a minute? I am. Yeah, I'm around the uh, 440 Nolansville now. I've been uh, here since November. Are you going to be there for Bonnaroo? Are you going to come to Bonnaroo with us? I am, as a matter. Are you really? Yeah, I um in fact I think this year I'm actually bugging out of Lollapalooza early uh and because of that I'm going to be missing Dave Grohl in Chicago but mm. we'll be able to see him obviously down in Manchester. Now, um you have done Bonnaroo before, you have done Lollapalooza plenty of times being the uh program director of WKQX in Chicago. What do the two to you feel like? What is the differences between the two? How do you uh, how do you see them? Two very distinctly different styles of, of festival. What I always loved about Lollapalooza when I didn't live in Chicago was it was the ultimate place to just get a four-day hotel set up, mm-hmm. go and hang out all day in the field, and just take in as much music as you can, much of the ambience of that great city. As night drops, you have the amazing backdrop of Chicago as a skyline and city. Then you can like go back to your hotel and wash the yuck off of the day. Yeah. yeah. And then go and have an amazing meal in Chicago, one of the mm-hmm. finest uh, cities in America, in the world to have a meal at. You know, conversely, Bonnaroo, you're trapped, man. Yeah. <laughs> you are trapped. So all the creature comforts that I just explained that make Lollapalooza so great are part of what makes Bonnaroo its own unique bird and beautiful. And, and are you unique. telling me, are you say telling it, me that spicy it, pie, spicy pie is different than a Vec? <laughs> yes, I am. Wow. 100% <laughs> I am. But you get some great mud bucks down at Bonnaroo. I mean, I've yeah. been part of, you know, red light always throws a great crab boil. They do. And, they do. and, and they there's, do. there, there are two distinctly different styles of, both front of stage and backstage with both of those festivals. Do you actually, you, you mentioned being in the field. Cause we talked about this last week with Brad, cause he's never seen the field. No, 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 Chicago Lollapalooza is all about the restaurants and the occasional yeah. backstage show. <laughs> Yours is actually watching music. 
Yes, I still uh, believe that there is a place in the in the world of festivals to actually partake in the music. Yeah. All right, I, I, don't Brad, know. I think I we've I think we've identified why you're where you are and he's where he is. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I've been to I've been to I think I've been to five Lollapaloozas and I don't think I've made it to five shows yet. I don't. <laughs> Some people will tell you you're doing it right, though, Brad. Some people will tell you you're doing it right. I know. I mean, it, so before we get into this whole thing, what were your thoughts on the lineup for, for Lollapalooza? I mean, when it first came through, it felt, um, well, I, just, I won't put words into your mouth. What did you think about the lineup this year? Well, if you are loyal to a festival because it was part of your formatic DNA, those don't exist anymore. So you have to go to festivals with the open thought process of taking in everything else that has, frankly, nothing to do with the music, because you're going to get such an eclectic mix now, regardless of name of festival, that you're not just going because it's an alternative format or a hip hop uh, uh, festival, uh, alternative format, alternative festival, hip hop festival, blues festival, whatever. I think all these promoters that are putting on these festivals have, have realized that with the advent of the streaming universe, formats are out the window now. And it's just about creating a great, amazing experience throughout the course of the day. Well, I mean, you, you, you say formats, but I mean, it's a good segue into this conversation. Does that go for radio as well? I think that both you and I probably think, and, and Barry knows this as well, musical choices these days are not broken down by some sort of, well, I'm a country music fan. Uh, nobody has those sort of guardrails on themselves anymore. So do you feel as though that is transferring itself into radio or non-radio success? I don't know. I don't know so much about that, uh, so much as I think festivals adapted to where the streaming services started to see a lot of their quote unquote metrics come from, which is a cornucopia of different styles of music instead of, yeah, there's channels for whatever it is you particularly have a taste in. But um, I, I think they're scattershot now as far as how festivals are booking stuff. I mean, when they added an additional day to Lollapalooza, we were like, as consumers, we were like, thank you. Because it was just almost like too much. There is so much such a thing as too much. The, that amount of bands and that amount of days. I, I know, I don't know about you guys with Voodoo Fest down there, but on the Monday after Lala, we sleep. Yeah. yeah. Oh I mean, gosh. it's, it's yeah, the reason. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, Bonnaroo is just like Bonnaroo has not become a a weekend festival anymore, at least for us. Week. Yeah, it's the whole week. We get there on Tuesday. Yep. We get yeah, there on right. Tuesday and we don't leave until Monday afternoon. Um, and, you know, for those of us who, you know, have pretty easy jobs, that's fine. But for, you know, actual professionals or, you know, kids who, you know, <laughs> are who had to drive 14, 16 hours to yes. get there. I mean, this has turned into a 10 day, 10 day entity. Right. Um, so let's start generally here when we talk. So the whole point of this is, is how exactly a hit is made and then turns into a star, which finds themselves in on a festival lineup like Lollapalooza. So broad brushstroke here, what is the state of radio and specifically in your view, the state of rock radio? Hmm. Oh, that's an um, open-ended question. Cause uh, you know, the state of radio is an ever evolving one that is trying to encompass 
as many facets and forms of audio as we can. I think to just use the term radio as in what we're traditionally all known for doing, which is tuning in on your cars or having a car a stereo at home, everyone's, this is my stereo at home now. And so um, the traditional sense of, of that has fundamentally changed. So to just say, what, what is the history of radio or where is the state of radio? The state of radio right now is trying to be a part of every ecosystem where audio can be shared and experienced wherever you can. And, and that the fundamentals of radio are still the same today as they were in 1950, 60, 70, or 80. And that is just to make great, compelling sounding audio, which is exactly what you guys try to do here when you make your podcast every single week is to just try to create compelling audio that that uh, people find engaging, interesting, and thought-provoking. Uh, whether that comes from the music space or the spoken word space, the brilliant, uh, uh, the beautiful part for my part is bringing both of those together. So, Let me ask it this, this way, and maybe it's not fair because I think you've answered it, but a couple of years ago in, in, in here in Chattanooga, where I live, we, I was having a conversation with a, a, a musician who had just moved here, a well-known musician. And he asked the question, who's driving the train? And I thought that's a brilliant question, uh, especially at that time. It, it, first of all, is there a train and is there someone driving it or is it a bunch of trains? Cause that's what the answer, my answer to him was is, it felt like for years we had somebody driving the train and now we have a bunch of trains with a bunch of different drivers and they're not at that time, they weren't all going the same way. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll tell you why, why I like that statement. And it's also scary too. I think technology has been driving the train for the last 10 to 15 years. What, what we're starting to, CNR end is hopefully your artist friend is seeing there's a plethora of ways to get he or she's art out there. And then it's all in the power of the consumer and, and how they want to, how they want to consume this stuff. Sure. We at radio were the, whatever the, however you want the gatekeepers, if you will, of, of the conduit to turning people on to new music discovery, but there, there's a plethora of ways now for people to be able to do that. So the consumer has more power than they have ever had before to be able to have an on-demand de <clears throat> on experience in, in listening to, excuse me, whatever it is they want to listen to. But I also believe that the artists have more power now at their disposal now to have their art heard on so many different ways, so many different platforms, and they're not necessarily as um, beholden to any old guard. There still are systems in place that are helpful to musicians and, and to artists on the radio side, on the festival touring circuit side, some of the things that have all been in place for forever. I think there's just more opportunities to, to have your product, if you will. Yeah. I, I know Brad has a follow-up, but before we leave that, I, for your point of view, does that feel like you go in every day and you still have a handle on things? Like, you know which train to get on or do you walk in and every day is just completely new? I think that's what actually uh, continues to reinvigorate me about my gig instead of uh, others that may find that they get stale or complacent is 
the audio ecosystem is changing at such a rapid pace every 90 days, almost like the cell phone business, right? Yeah. Or the newspaper that, business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. That the part of the thrill for me now is keeping up with that chase. That's okay. become part of my new chase. The music's all there. The music is coming in in more doses than we've ever been able to, to handle it before. Not all of it's great, but, but the, the ability to learn and adapt to where stuff is going uh, with how people use audio is I get a charge out of that every single right, cool. day. Yeah, but don't do you feel as though when you do put all these things? I do. I actually really love that analogy of of how many trains are there, right? Do you feel as though radio is the one that's going to be left out if you put everything on a on a buffet? That's the one that's going to be chosen least. Well, I'm I'm going to answer that question by by getting back to the question I didn't get a chance to answer you on, and that was just kind of where is the state of rock radio? And part of my belief system in the earlier part of the decade was we started to notice that rock radio had really kind of narrowed itself down. You take a look at streaming numbers, you started to see that a lot of the quote-unquote new metal, new rock bands were just not getting the type of consuming met, uh, metrics that say the the more broad-based alternative bands like the Imagine Dragons uh, of the world and 21 Pilots were getting. Um, it was starting to narrow cast and limit itself. I, I think if if rock radio continues to do that, it it may not never uh, it may not ever eliminate itself outright like you, you mentioned there, Brad. But if it doesn't allow itself the ability to broaden its palette by playing multiple versions of quote unquote rock, it's going to have itself in such a narrow box that it's going to be difficult to find ways to make money off of that, and that and that will scare companies away from wanting to be all in in that side or that slice of the rock pie. And that's, that's where radio could become very challenged with some of these Uber, Uber niche type of formats that active rock has, has kind of boxed itself into a little bit. The smart, the smart rock playlist people out there and smart rock programmers out there have found a way to start to bring other sounds into the buoy base instead of it being three chord dirge that just, after you spend 20 minutes of that, you're just, you're kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I know that band. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I Every time I try to draw a bath, I turn on some five finger death punch. I don't know about you. Five finger does quite well for, for the audience that they have. That band does extremely well in that space. But there, somewhere along the way, there were some rock radio folks who thought that that band couldn't exist in the same sphere that 21 pilots could exist. And I, I respectfully disagree. I'm a, I'm going to ask this and, and please forgive me if it changes the direction too much, but it just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could book a festival? Uh, I do it twice a year. He does it. Yeah. I, about to okay. say, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. All it's right. A, Sorry for asking an ignorant question. How are they question. different? And uh, I, that's why I ask. It seemed like they, you're very good, obviously, at, at the radio. And and given what we've talked about for 15, 20 minutes, it sounds like they might be different, but maybe they're not. That's why. It, well, I, in, in a way, though, Barry, you're correct, because what I do try to do with one of the two festivals that I do in the spring is I do try to get it back to what the original catered to format concept is, which is 
I live in the alternative space. I try to focus on bands that are in that alternative space for the particular festival that I try to book and, and put on. But that's not necessarily where the Live Nations and C3s and, and the Ashley Caps of the world are with how they do it. I mean, think about how Bonnaroo started, guys. It was yeah. a jam band festival. Right, because they know? would camp. Because those right. sweaty people would that's camp. Right. <laughs> and, and did we ever think you two would show up in Manchester. Paul McCartney, right, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that right there just goes to show you just how, how broad-based and how big money these festivals have become. I, mean, I sometimes I sometimes want to like go back in time and ask the 2002 Bonnaroo guy who shows up in their their tents and their you know patchouli and, and ask him, are you excited for 2019 when there's going to be a guy with a face tattoo rapping on the main stage? Man, as long are as widespread panic is still headlining, as, yeah, as, as long as I get panic, as long as, as, as Trey is panic. there, man, if Trey's there. I'm all good. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, I would, but real quick about the festival thing about what you book, you wouldn't necessarily. I don't think that you were in this. You correct me if I'm wrong. In this business to be a music promoter, you don't really want to be a show promoter. You don't. Or is it just a necessity of the job because that is the best way that you can connect with an audience? Or are you doing it because it is a money making entity? Brad, part of our gig, as you uh, as you know, dude, is not only to create a great compelling product can be sold for a ratings purpose for advertising, but it's also to look for uh, revenue generation vehicles. And one of the most tried and true sound ways for us in our place and our position to be able to generate revenue is to be able to connect the dots with the very product that we push out every single day. And with our fortunate great relations that we've done with the music community over the course of the years, whether it be, our, our good friends on the management company side, our friends on the agency side, or our friends on the record label side, looking for those opportunities to create exposure moments for their clients. And at the same time, look for exposure opportunities for our clients and finding ways to, to bring those together. And anytime I can do things that are monetization vehicles that are wrapped around music, as opposed to trying to sell hamburgers, I'm all in. Yeah, that's like I say all the time. It beats digging a ditch, right? It, 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 <laughs> it still work. Yeah, but, yeah. To 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 say, hey man, for me, it's all about the music. I, I keep the money out of it. Is to not live in reality. There is a world where art and commerce both exist, and I'm a person that tries to be the bridge or the conduit to both of those things because everybody who's on the creative side of any aspect of it, creatively putting on a show, creatively creating the music, recording the music, whatever that is, they're doing that as their occupation. And they love it, but a part of that occupation means wanting to earn a living. So I never, me, never shy about having to talk about the monetary part of, of the creation of, of art. Let me, this is, first of all, thank you. This is amazing. So to, to, maybe draw a line. So Bonnaroo 2002, the music industry was radio and some online stuff and Napster was happening and nobody knew where things were going. Bonnaroo comes in and all of a sudden festivals are a thing. And it happened because of literally, like you said, it was a camping festival. They got fish yeah. every, so we did a show two weeks ago where Brad and I discussed at length the idea that George Strait 
is a great pick for ACL because he's such a country act. Does that mean we're going to have country acts? So, you know, tying the two things to Brad's point, you know, if we'd asked 2002 Bonnaroo guy, are you looking forward to George Strait at on the farm in 2021? where do you got you in the industry see festivals going you you talked about at the beginning it's now so wide open because nobody's ipad is one thing yeah nobody has an ipad or or whatever your you know your listening thing is is just one thing it's all over boy that was the most dad thing i've ever heard whatever listening thingy you have yeah whatever your your whatever streaming (laughs) service whatever you know how you listen to your music um, where can it go? And that's a hundred miles, you know, down the road to get to one question. And I, yeah, I know Barry, that. but it's a great question because I think this year is going to test is going to be a great litmus test because think about how many festivals that are all in a row here right. by necessity of, of the pandemic, of course, but in the months of September and October, the sheer volume of festivals themselves will really test the regionality concept of a festival versus the people who are willing to fly into Bottle Rock mm-hmm. or the people who are willing to fly into Firefly or Coachella or, or stuff like that. Because a lot of these festivals are starting to populate with the same lineups. And, mm-hmm. and it's going to become, I've often wondered in the last year or two with Lollapalooza, why are you guys waiting so long to announce? I get when it was, or you should have waited, but that was when there was about six or eight less festivals than there are now. Now, by the time fill in the blank headliner announces at Lollapalooza, they've already cleared seven or eight other festivals where they're headlining. And I, and I just think uh, that where it this isn't a, a, a for sure answer to your question, but I fear more consolidation in the festival business because how often are you going to have that same name headlining that many festivals right. and and that that one entity, be it Live Nation or AEG, will probably be able to control that a little bit. Yeah, then it becomes, do I want to see my favorite band in Chicago or on a farm? That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah, I mean that's why that's why I've I've forever thought that the regional based music festival world is sort of where this is going to end up in a boutique slash regional sort of thing. And there's going to you know I can foresee the 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 big three sort of sticking around and and trading off the same sort of um, identities, but with the top line being just a little bit different. But backwards for a second, when you were talking about um, at least where the 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 radio space was going to go and it even goes into programming your own music festival for as a radio guy you got to find a way to to you got to find the guys first right you got to find the artists first you've got to program a radio station first how are you determining what is your determination what is the the factor that gets something on the radio for you how is it that data is a totally data-driven entity now or are you going on your gut like you know the guy in the 60s was doing well there's a there certainly is a more data at our disposal than we've ever had before to kind of gauge human behavior 
and you want to try to bring as much of that into your decision making as possible. At the end of the day, a great song is a great song. And, and my interpretation of art can be completely different from yours. We all know the ditties. You can hear a great cookie track. I, any one of us can. Van Gogh could hear it. He only had one ear. He could hear when <laughs> when there were when there were great hooks in some of these. And and hey gang, I got more misses than hits on my belt. Boy, I, I've heard a lot of great songs that I just loved and couldn't figure out why they they didn't work. Well, but, well, that's that is the the the, the crux of the question and the yeah, crux exactly. of this whole thing. So why didn't it work? Boy, if I knew that, I would be doing A and R probably at Columbia Records. <laughs> <laughs> money. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. There's a, there still is some good old fashioned gut that goes into. And man, that is a hit song. Listen to that. That is. What does Mr. White say? I want something peppy, something catchy. <laughs> but but we do have a. Uh, a bunch of analytics that can give us some pre-search, if you will, before songs even sometimes even hit the air that allow us to kind of get a gauge on people's initial taste on uh, on something. There are bands and artists that just get a formula down uh, and, and they become hit-making machines. Well, you know, and that all started back with Lennon McCartney and worked its way up to guys like Chad Kroger from Nickelback and the kid from Imagine Dragons and how they're just able to churn out catchy little ditties that, uh, that are earworms for people. Yeah. But okay. So for, for somebody who doesn't, and Barry might be able to, to ask this question better because he's not as in it. Why does the data matter for you? Because at the end of the day, data is, is um, you know, almost like the Trumpers and how they feel about polling. You know, well, they didn't poll me. You know, yeah. nobody's ever called me and asked me my ideas of songs. So, so why do people like you get so? Why do you? Why, why do you lean so hard on data when everybody knows that data is flawed in some form or fashion? Can, can I just real quick throw in a, a joke because I just heard it today from a musician that I was having coffee with. A and R guys on an airplane with earbuds. Guy sits next to him. What do you do for a living? He pulls his earbuds out. He says, I'm an A&R guy. I'm listening to a brand new song. The guy says, is it any good? He says, I don't know. No one else has heard it yet. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you A&R. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. Well, I, 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 data points to behavior. And, and it's easy for any person who didn't take part in a survey to go, well, they didn't talk to me. And if they would have, and, and me and all of my friends agree, that, that's the number one thing that I, that Brad, you and I probably hear when we're hearing somebody complaining about a song or something that they don't like about our radio station. Me and all of my friends agree. And we all think that all of our friends are everybody. Data points to behavior uh, patterns. And uh, more times than not, when you lean into numerics that tend to point to a trend you start to have better a better batting average we like to play money ball over here and 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 it's not unlike what brad pitt and jonah hill were doing in Moneyball. It, it, it really is a song still needs to stick up at the end of the day but uh record labels utilize uh data Industries of every technology utilize data to try to get an understanding of how their consumers 
use their product. And we're no different from that. We want to know how people use us. And our product at the end of the day is music. Okay. I've asked this question of Brad several times. And as a fan, as just a don't know anything about it fan, the question I've always wondered and always heard is why can't the local band or whoever with the song that I just love get played on the radio? And I'll let you guys both answer the answer that I think I understand. I am, I am is, not the expert on this episode today. I am uh, no well, radio expert. But today. what I, I think I've gathered is it's there are 24 hours in a day. There's only so many minutes in an hour. There's so many slots to play a song. And so to just throw in random ABC song is more difficult for the industry than one might think. Like from my naive point of view, it's like, why not just throw it in there and see how it does? That's not how it works for you guys, is it? I don't know. Not in every situation, but that does happen in some towns across the country. Not as much as it maybe once did because, because of the consolidation of, of uh, radio. But I think the cheeky programmers are the ones that find a way to weave in some type of hometown opportunity. My situation in Chicago, I'm able to benefit off of hometown artists that fortunately are already signed. Do I have an exposure hour for them? Yep, it's in a nice safe area where I won't get too dinged and where the entire market won't decide. I have no idea what it is that's being played right now. I'm going to leave and go listen somewhere else because the concept of playing it sounds a lot better than the end result. That nope. you- now stop right there. I hate to interrupt, but why is that? Yeah, exactly. Ex- expl- explain explain exactly. what you mean by that, and, and I'll shortcut it. It's familiarity, right correct? Yeah, yeah. Familiarity is a big part of what keeps somebody wanting to listen to something. New music discovery is part of why somebody ultimately tries to find us a curation, if you will. But, but we like to try to serve up a familiar blend of music that people are, are, are know. That, that they are familiar with and how we serve up new music discovery is in slow, small doses. So you are not getting 60 minutes of music you've never heard of before, of which usually that's what local music is because a, a local music scene is rather small compared to a larger, more. And you, and you believe this because <laughs> the data tells you so. Yes. Yeah. The data tells you that the more familiar something is, the more likely you're going to succeed in the, the, the ways in which you've been asked to succeed. Yeah. yeah. All right. But, to, but it necessarily put, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily breed careers though, considering that the more familiar you are, the more successful Troy's going to be, but the more familiar the station is, the less opportunity it is for someone else to, to have the career of familiarity. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that you're not playing new music. It's how you serve it up and what you put around it. You have to be able to play new product, but you're just not going to spend a full hour playing absolute brand new unfamiliar product. Yeah, I, I think it's familiar rap around it. I think what you said a second ago sort of explains it. It sounds better than it maybe is in reality. Yeah. It's a good, yeah. you know, you're going to be the guy who's going to introduce somebody, but if people are turning the station, you, you know, no money, no mission, right? Yeah. You, 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 we want to be a curator of quality 
And the reality is in every single local music scene across the country, there are uh, a few uh, artists that are, are rather strong. And then there's a crop of artists that are just not very strong. Right. And if you're throwing an hour of just that particular scene up against the wall, you're probably going to have more misses than you're going to have hits. Okay. And at the end of the day, as, as cool as it sounds to say that you're supporting that, the greater, larger group of people that you want spending more time with your brand are not going to do that. That's the reality. Yeah, I, mean, I can think of, just real quick, I've yep. had this argument for 35 years with people that they'll say, we need a local club that plays local bands. And I'm like, no, you need to bring crowds to that club, and then they will play local bands. They're not going to just give you a night for you and your girlfriends and boyfriends to sit, you know, for no cover and not make money. You it's the un- same thing. I, I get what you're seven saying. nights a week of just nothing but local music is a tough business model, right? Because somewhere in between there, you got to have cover band night, yep. <laughs> and you got to have national trivia. Got to have trivia night. <laughs> God, <laughs> trivia. That's right. That's right. Pay the bills, Barry. <laughs> you. Uh, you, you asked a great question a, a little while back about just where the, the model of festivals is going. And one of my fears uh, about where the live business is going with regard to the festival situation is I worry that we're creating a world where there are so many festivals that that's all that bands have the ability to sell ticket-wise is being a part of a festival. And yeah. then they're asked to go out on their own and either headline or be part of a club, a theater or next level up type of venue that they can no longer just sell tickets on their own name because they become part of a festival scene so often that they've become reliant. They're, They're literally, their living, their live business has become only a festival base. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that is a great point. And boy, I mean, the King Gizzard, Lizard Wizard uh, of the world. I mean, they are they are right there. You know, you it's such a good point because I'll go in the reverse. You know, sometimes at this job and I'm trying not to be radio guy today, but at this job, it does frustrate you to look at a lineup like Bonnaroo or Lollapalooza and say, why can't this work on a radio station? I mean, Troy has beaten me up how many times for playing oh, Vampire Weekend? Barry uh, Ross, countless times I've beat him up. <laughs> kicked me in the shins. Somebody's like a ne'er-do-well. <laughs> he, uh, but, but like, and there's, there's certain bands that you, you see working so well at a festival and going from festival to festival to festival and just can't, what you just said a second ago, you get dinged from it. Now, yeah. explain. David Paula is a great example. They okay. Play festivals is, for the rest of their career. This is a great example. Getting to work on the radio or whatever. So, so a couple of things, and we'll let's get into the weeds here for a second, just for a second, not to bore Barry, but explain the problem with Tame Impala as a major artist in in this in, in the overall hemisphere of music, especially in in America. First off, their problems in their first half of their career connecting with your business. And secondly, what they're trying to do now to try and correct that and actually become a workable U.S. artist. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, and Kevin makes no bones. He, he wants to make hits. He, he's not like trying to act like he's above it. He would welcome mainstream play. 
in, in all facets. And he's, uh, and he's a guy that managed to, uh, it's great band. Tame and Paul's a great band and, and they've struck out at a time when the festival circuit in general just blew up. They kind of caught that wave of, of, of blowing up on, on a festival side too. Black Keys kind of benefited from that as well in the, in the 2K era. They, they were the benefit of some really cool festivals that really helped push them out there in the forefront in America during. I saw them at a cafe stage at Bonnaroo in the early aughts. Yeah. 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 So, So, but, but, but to to the Tame Impala point, uh, a great example is, you know, I might be one of the only guys in the country that will play the less I know the better every now and then. Right. Why is it that that song doesn't work, but something they put out now does work? How does one work and the other one not? Man, that's a great question, and I, I wish I knew the answer to that, Brad. I, I really do. I, uh, I love Arctic Monkeys. A great song. Bet you look great on the dance floor, right? I can't get that song to test with my terrestrial crowd the way I can get Do I Want to Know the test. Two completely different albums, and I always thought that AM would open the door for us to be able to go back and peek into uh, early Arctic Monkeys. And the world has just kind of continued to give it me the Heisman on that. And I think Tame Impala is, it, you could write the same story and just this change is, up one. This is fascinating. I, 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 this frustrates Barry, by the way. This really frustrates Barry. I, think there's, I love you know, this there's conversation. A, there's, a, there's, a, there's a world here that I think radio people sometimes forget, and it's not you, but guys like me forget that, you know, uh, there are people so frustrated by radio. They just don't. They, they don't understand what in the world these guys are doing because, again, all my buddies really like, you know, this yeah. band, but nobody's playing them. It is. And what you say is so interesting. And, and, and I bet it I bet it made people just like say, what are you talking? When you when you say testing, you can't get it to test well. So when you put these tests together and then you give them to your terrestrial audience, how often do you say to yourself, all right. I'm going to grow this terrestrial audience. And how do I grow the terrestrial audience so that these, some of these things can get a little wider a net when it comes to testing? Well, uh, you asked a double-edged uh, question because one of the things that you have to be careful about is thinking that you can go out and try and improve your product by going in and talking to people who don't, don't use your product in thinking that they're suddenly going to start using your product because you've changed it to adapt to them. That actually can be a recipe for doom in industry because what you risk doing is blowing off all of your customers who came to your store because they like the food that you're making. Yeah, but you want so bad for the customer who's not coming to your store to come in. So but I really you want a Popeye's be- chicken sandwich. That's the great. I was thinking restaurants. Go, no, 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 no. I want to go over and talk to you. And they go, oh, that's nice that you want to talk to me. I mean, I'm not going to your restaurant, but yeah. that's very nice. That you want to talk to <laughs> yeah. We, we've been selling cheeseburgers by the millions for years, but we really want to sell shrimp. We love spaghetti. Yes. We love to get we into the spaghetti, spaghetti dinner business. Yeah. yeah so but we're going to, that's a great but point. But what you're, but you're advocating here is almost the opposite of what radio has always been. You're almost saying narrow casting is the way to go aside from broadcasting, no? No, I don't think I am. What I'm talking about is just making sure that you are staying true to what your brand is. 
you know, every brand has a sonic sound to it. I'll, I'll stick in the radio lane because that's, that's what I'm talking about here. Um, and, and the brand that I have has a, has an overall sonic sound and I want to be able to appeal to a mass uh, group of people, but I don't want to uh, expand my mass and become so broad that I stop becoming to the key people that are really spending a chunk of time with me. And that's, that's the misstep any type of brand, regardless of what it is, clothing brand, food product, whatever it is. In trying to expand, you have to be very careful that you don't go so far that you become um, trying to be everything to everyone and you mm-hmm. become nothing to no one. It's Very a great point. Because, Again, I think the restaurant is the perfect analogy. Well, you know? Barry, Barry, it, you know, you know the wife's tea shop. We own a tea shop. I yeah. don't know if Troy knows this, but but one day a guy walked into the tea shop. It's an herbal apothecary. You know, it sells tea. Tea is a tea shop. Right. A guy walked in one day and he said, um, "You guys got ice cream?" Yeah. Why no? Yeah. You should start selling some ice cream. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, <laughs> right I think that. the restaurant is right a perfect analogy. Literally, seriously. You specialize in hamburgers. Don't offer spaghetti. You know, yeah. if you're killing it. Um, but I, I wanted to go back a little bit because your thought about the festivals expanding so much and doing so well that what does it do for bands? I actually asked a, a venue owner here if he was worried about October and September. Will there be enough touring acts to fill his dates? Um a little bit to your point. And I think Brad and I, we talked about this last week a little bit, you know, the festival lineups are so full and everybody's out to play. Will there be live music touring acts? I I think that was a great question. um, The agents I've talked with are having trouble finding rooms because everyone is playing shows, trying to make some type of money in 2021 before everything gets back into full blown big shed tours, big arena tours in 2022. So they're trying to find as many places where some bands are probably going to be doing smaller uh, clubs and theaters than they used to. I know stand-up comics are doing that. They're, they're going like, you know, the Brian Regans of the world are taking a step back from the, from the, the types of theaters and arenas that they could normally do and doing smaller places just to be able to get some, some stage time, get some, some time going. And also hearing if which sounds contrary to what I just asked, but if they were doing 40 days a week, now they're going to do 60 or 70 Yeah, yeah. just to get out. So, okay. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, one other thing that you said that, that I had to write down when you're looking at a playlist, especially when you, you talking, you were talking about the local artists, you said signing matters. What does signing matters mean? What does, what does being signed to a record label mean and the overall concept of or the construct of what you do for a living for me it's a it's a considerable note that this is something that is being pushed out on a national platform it's one thing to play a local band who's unsigned and you play it regionally but to know that you're playing something that is going to be worked across the country or even globally and it isn't something that you yourself are just out just on an island championing yourself because I love this. This is my own little thing. Um, We want to be a part of what uh, others want to be a part of. I think the days of, uh, of having this thought that 
you had this song or this band that was just yours and you love it and you don't want them to become big and huge because you want this specialness. Why do I don't want that? I want as many people to enjoy as much music as possible because that just lifts up the sales for the artist doesn't want that either, by the way, because you've got a limited pocketbook. Didn't Allie mention that? Brad, in, in our conversation with the, the well, booking agents, well, like, he said, if you can do 200, I need you to do 400 the next week or the next month. And we need to see the growth. So well, 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 yep. yeah, yeah, she's great. So, yeah. so, so we, so Troy, you're currently, uh, you know, as you, as you traverse the country, you're currently in Nashville, which has a band that is, that is, you know, fighting this very thing. Repeat, repeat the, um, the band that wrote the theme song of this, of this, uh, podcast and very good friends of ours. And they are, they were this close, you know, and, you know, trying to maneuver through whatever this world is going to be. Those level acts are having a very hard time breaking through. Right. Um, because like you say, tr- signing matters, representation, all of those things matter. Do you think that there is a world where that is becoming less important considering representation now is TikTok and it's and it's the YouTube stars uh, that uh, of, of the generation previously. Um, do you see a post record label world where hits are being found on street corners and then find themselves into viral videos? Not so much in street corners, but I don't think having to be signed by a major label is as required as it, as it once was. There's more power in artists' fingertips now to be able to put the power in their own hands to hire teams that can help them work their, uh, work their music on a regional level or on a national level that don't require the, the Sonys and universals of the world uh, to do that anymore. Um, I'm not, to me, TikTok is like the voice. It hasn't actually created an actual star yet. It's created moments, but it hasn't actually created a, an, a, an amazing artist's career yet. And, and I watch, as everybody else does, the different social media platforms that get built up and then I guess get torn down. And, and you know what I'm wondering? What's the next TikTok? Because I guess we were all saying that when we were all in love with Snapchat and that became TikTok. Some of us are still in love with Snapchat. I'm Uh, sure of that. uh, High five. Am I right? I heard you're still (laughs) in love with Friendster. I'm a big fan. Big, big fan. Um, I find all my music on MySpace. Leave me alone. Yeah, but I'm not not convinced yet. I, I do know that record labels are certainly making money thanks to TikTok. And that's part of what has become uh, an amazing resurgence over the course of the last five or so odd years is there was a point in the post-Napster world where we were talking about recorded music being dead. And the only way to make money in this business was through the live, uh, through live uh, performance. And now this 180 has happened where thanks to DSPs and thanks to vehicles like TikTok, they are finding a great monetization vehicle and recorded music that just, uh, again, I, I, uh, to, to think about how like Universal is in 10% increments is selling off parts of Universal Music Group for billions at a time. When I think at one point during the low 
the low days of post Napster, I think they maybe put a lot of that together for maybe a billion. So now the fact that they're selling it in 10% increments for billions are just like, it's mind blowing, mind blowing. It, it, so with that being said though, and this will be the final thing that I, that I ask if Barry's got something else. When you, when you then sit down at, at the desk and it's time for you to um, pick out which songs you're going to put your weight behind Again, and I said this with you not on the phone. You're one of five. You're one of the five most influential people in all of rock music. I mean, if you want something to be played and and put on the radio, there's five of you. You know, there's really five of you. And you can, and I throw Ali Hagendorf in that in that conversation as well. Sure. So oftentimes, do you, Mike Kaplan, Lisa Warden, Ali Hagendorf, Sirius XM? feel like you're part of a marketing campaign because things are so label driven? We are marketers. You're a marketer. I'm a marketer. That's, that is what we do in, in radio. We, we market our airwaves to our clients and we market our airwaves to our listeners as well. Uh, so yeah, I think anyone who tells you they're not is, I, I market music. I market personalities. I market images. Hopefully what people take away from it is credibility because that's what I try to bring with my brand and, and what I try to push out there so that when someone is being marketed to that, they feel like the curation is, is sound, uh, uh, whether that's music or that's, you know, personalities. Are you telling me those commercial free hours are not really commercial free? <laughs> I, uh, I have a feeling you're trying to tell me that oh, there's yeah. always a commercial around the corner. You caught me in a lie. I, uh... <laughs> I do have one more and it's a complete, it's a complete dad question, but it's one of the things that I hear a lot. Uh, we all hear the only real music was made and depending on what year you are. You know, whether it's the 60s, the 70s, you've got 1971 currently on uh, HBO, which is terrific. Um, I, I, I bristle when I hear people say that because you just sound like an old buddy. You know, yeah, there's a lot of really good music. I'll stop you there. You sounded old when you said the word fuddy. Buddy, I know. As soon as I said it, I was like, dang it. (laughs) I told you it was a dad question. There's there. I can point to two key music movement moments that were huge with pop culture as a whole. And that was like the late sixties when music was really moving a generation through the Vietnam war. You had the Beatles going through their breakup. You had amazing music by uh, artists like the doors and Zeppelin and stuff making that. Marvin Gaye. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And a a great, great example of Marvin Gaye. And then you can look at the early nineties and, and see what uh, came out of Seattle and, and how the more mainstreaming of alternative music came into play and what connects both of those two timeframes is how much music had a deep influence on pop culture and the lifestyle of what was happening with people around uh, us. And that was all sans social media and sans internet type of stuff that was all happening today. uh, Music 
is still music. It just doesn't have the, I have, um, Brad hasn't been into my office up in Chicago, but I, I've actually got a quote on the wall from John Mellon. Wait, it's, it's a Brad Steiner quote. I didn't even know. Wow. This is so impressive. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a John Mellencamp quote. And it says, uh, something about remember when music used to, uh, move a culture. And I think that those two different genres that like 1988 or 89 to 94-ish timeframe and that 1966 to 71 timeframe were just two incredibly instrumental music periods that just uh, were incredible moments in time. I totally agree, but I would add a third. I would add Bonnaroo in in 2002. Is that right? It changed. I think I, I think for a lot of people, myself, and maybe it's maybe it's too personal, but Bonnaroo reintroduced live music. I think to the nation. Mm. I think we were stuck in Napster. We were listening to the MP3s. I think Bonnaroo made festivals and the whole discovery. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. It it turned people on to discovering new music versus, you know, being the, the snob, the music snob. Um, I don't think that it may not be to your point, to those two levels. I totally agree with your point, but for me anyway, it really, um, it was pretty big, pretty monumental change. Well, and, I, and I'm a lifelong fan. I mean, I, well, I think, I think, back. I think Barry gives me a li- very hard time because when I first met Ashley Caps, I sort of stepped in it and crapped my pants when I said to him, uh, <laughs> Ashley, you saved live music. Yep. Um, well, the point that I was making in that was that what you said earlier, Troy, is exactly why I love festivals and why I love Bonnaroo is because people like the Black Keys got a shot because they were put on these tiny festivals and that festival loved them so much they gave them the next shot. And then the next shot. Now they have a much easier path that radio does to give somebody a, a shot and a chance on a stage that may or may not turn into anything. You know, that 15, 20 minute set is a lot different than, you know, us having to to play a song 75 times in the course yeah. of two weeks for you to even realize what it is. That's so true. There's a kid playing Bonnaroo this year, Briston Maroney. Yeah, we know him. We love He's from Knoxville. We've had him on the show. Love him. Uh, I, I went and saw him at Third Man last Wednesday and watched him perform his new record uh, live in its entirety. And I was so uber impressed and I can't wait to see him hit on a stage uh, uh, on that size and, and take that next step uh, as his career continues to develop. He's a, see, he's a, a guy good like kid. him, he's a, a really guy like him, kid. I would never have just, and uh, several things happened. Spotify, I mean, a lot of streaming media and all that. It was a, it, you, know, you know, a confluence of a lot of things. But for me, that Bonnaroo 2002 was the third uh, third pillar in uh, in what you're talking about, I think. And and uh, Briston's a great example. I would have never. I mean, I can my morning jacket. I would have never discovered without a live festival. I'll tell you, the guy who's made probably the best points on this call here today, Russ Jackson. I got to give it he's, up to him. He's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to say. Unbelievable. Honestly, the the topic that gets him going the most <laughs> is a thing called PBR. Okay, I got some right here. Yeah, that's yeah. my man. Right. Well, to your, to your point, Troy, he hasn't said anything wrong. 
<laughs> Great point, Barry. <laughs> Boy, he lives he's in a, the, he's he hitting a hundred percent. Are they by are they by chance they a podcast sponsor? Because he's bringing it. We're hoping. I'm, we I'm trying to get there so badly. So. Never wrong. Never See, wrong. Talk about marketing. So Russ and I, this is how Russ and I are different. I say everything hoping to land something. <laughs> and Russ says, so it's the other thing that I love too is, is, uh, you know, he's got a, uh, I'm very excited about this. When Troy tells me that he has a quote of John Mellencamp on his wall, I was going to spin the camera around and show you the quote of, uh, sucking on chili dogs outside the tasty freeze that I have hanging on my wall. Monumental nice. really is, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to show you the rest of my room. <laughs> Troy, I can't, I can't thank you enough for this. This is actually, uh, me and Troy have worked together for a year and a half. Uh, we have um, a mutual love of the same radio person, Ron Bennington, who is uh, my radio my, my radio idol, uh, everybody who has the guy that I've always wanted to be. And um, me and Troy are, are, me and Troy are, are buddies, but um, this is the longest we've ever talked. <laughs> this is true. It's true. I try to. I try to limit Barry, as you and Russ both know. I try to Russ Jackson as you should. Yes, with Brad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a good yeah. plan. I, Troy, thank you so much for this. The perspective is amazing, and and it's a it's a masterclass in how the radio industry works. So thank you so much for being here, buddy. Thank you so much. Yeah, Great. Thank fun. you very thank much you for having Bye. me. The What Podcast, Which Bands This Year That Matter, part two of How to Make a Hit. What you're hearing now, the very sexy, sexy, soulful beats of Midist, M-I-D-I-S-T. Check them out on Bandcamp, Spotify, uh, follow them on all the uh, the platforms. Uh, give them some love because uh, they're so gracious to let us use some of their uh, their sexy beats. I, Nick calls them fellow Camp Nut Butter-ite. Nick Turner, who's part of Midas, calls them um, study beats. I call them sexy beats. Either works. I could definitely study to them, though. That's what's that? that I, that's long past for me. The whole is study that, uh, thing. But is that I what like we're it. calling it these days? Studying? Are we going to be yeah. studying? Yeah. I could. I could definitely sexy to this for sure. I, could you nice study stuff. to it? It's good stuff. I haven't study studied beats. in a while, so I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay, well, now it's I'm getting point. this confused. Which is which? What is study and what is sexy? I can't figure out which is which. You, you said them both. What right. a great show. What Barry, a great. Barry, look, you walk into every conversation that I have with radio with your eyes pinned to the back of your head. You just, you bristle at radio. It bothers you much like it bothers a lot of the audience because they don't really understand what they're doing half the time they don't understand what radio is doing half the time make right. that clear and they wonder why insert thing here doesn't work on whatever right. local radio station they're they're listening to i hope that showed some context yeah, on how you know something goes from nothing to something and and how radio you know eventually works its way you know through the whole the maze of this industry it's a love hate. Let's be very honest. It's a love hate. I love radio. I mean, I like everybody grew up listening to it. It's how you I discovered to a lot of bad radio. So uh, you got to love it. Uh, not anymore. Now, now, now I have all the other streaming services like everybody else. And I have, as you see behind me, I have my own collection. I still love radio. Uh, it's still the primary discovery method 
but yeah, I, you know, as you said, I have lots of questions and I've had them since I was a kid. And I, I mean, I can't put it any more simple. Why didn't the song that I love by the band I love get played? And that was very helpful. Yeah. Um, and amazing. frankly, I, I think that his Tame Impala answer is spot on because um, yeah, there is a, uh, at the radio station that I work in, and had, even Troy being the guy that calls me and asks me what I'm doing with some of these things, I'll say, look, you know, Tame, the less I know, the better, is legitimately one of the great songs that was released in the last decade. And he'll say straight up, he's like, I know, but nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean how many of those can we all... I mean, going I mean, back to LCD sound system. You can't find a radio station in the country that plays LCD sound right. system, except for me on the off, off occasion once a week. It's right. nuts. Absolutely and, nuts. And his point, and you've said it to me before, the, the time thing, the slot, the whatever, you know, you hear it once and maybe somebody turns a channel. I mean, I, I get that. Your job is to keep them tuned in to you. All day long, if if possible. And to add a little bit of context, the other thing about radio is that it is a frequency business, right? So the reason why you hear things over and over and over and over is because the higher frequency that we hit, the more likely it is that you're going to start familiarizing yourself with it, right. which is why radio sales still, to the dollar, the most effective form of advertising. Right. Because you can get it really cheap, and your message can just get hammered over and over and over and over. And you're hoping that the, mo the more that you're putting this message into somebody's head, top of mind recall, oh, that's why I'm going to go buy that Kia. Because I've heard that commercial 1,500 times. You might not buy the Kia, but subconsciously, that's the place that you're going to go to one, two, three on the list. Right. That's sort of the reason why certain songs don't work versus others. The local music co comparison that you made is, is a perfect one. You can't play a song once on the radio and expect it to work. Just right. like if you have a business, you can't expect to put one ad on the radio and expect it to work. It just doesn't, that's just not how the business, the, 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 the consumer well, is built. And uh, not, uh, I mean, not to get too far, as you said, into, into the weeds, but you explained something to me early on in the pandemic. And I think it, it really does sum it up because we all figured out what really matters. And what did well was things that were familiar. People turned to, they wanted whatever radio station they were familiar with, whether it was oldies or classic country or whatever, because it felt normal. It felt comfortable. Yeah, and it's when comfort you, when food. You, when, yeah. yeah, it's comfort. When you, so when you break that out, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, there you uh, go. You know, I, we've uh, had a pandemic, but even in, in normal times, you go with what's comfortable. So we're saying the same thing. So yeah. that was very, very, very interesting. I mean, Troy's the best. I and mean, there's, there's a reason why. Like, I, I would not put on contemporaries of mine and present them to you who I, who I love and adore and want you to, to gain something from. I would not put contemporaries on if I didn't think that they were the, the best. Yeah, he was great. And, and was Troy's great. the best. Um, so there you go. Um, anything else we need to get to? We wanted to get through some news, but we've ran so completely out of time. We've taken up most of your day. So is there anything else that we should get to before we go? Give those tickets uh, away next week. Yeah. Last, last week. chance to get tickets. All right, there you go. Russ, great One job as always. Russ, great show today, buddy. <laughs> great job. <laughs> great job, Russ. <laughs> Barry Corder, Russ Jackson, Lord Taco. I'm Brad Steiner. We'll talk to you next week on the What Podcast. Love you.
Consequence Podcast Network.